I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 43. This is a great passage for a new year. God says he's going to do a new thing. As we come to the end of this year, we've had God's blessings. We, some of us have had his trials, but we can look forward to this next year as a new, a new year. And God is going to do some neat things. I think he'll do them in our personal lives. I think he'll do it in our church life. I pray that he'll do it in the life of our nation. But as we know from the people of Israel, there were times where they were in rebellion and God had to chastise them. We actually see a situation in this passage but he says, I'm going to do a new thing. There always seemed to be a remnant that remained faithful to him. And as we consider that, my prayer is that we will be always faithful to him, no matter what happens, and that we will be the ones that he can call upon and that he will bless in mighty ways. Isaiah chapter 43, beginning with verse 18. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the desert and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. Bow with me for a moment. Father, as we consider this passage, we consider ourselves among your chosen ones. You gave us the gift of salvation. We accepted that gift. We entered into a personal relationship with you. You have formed us together as a church. We are united not just within this church family, but with Christians all around the world. And Lord, as we see so many things that are upsetting in our world today, help us to always keep our eyes upon you. Let's look for your handiwork no matter what we are doing, no matter what is happening around us, may we see your work. May we remain faithful to the calling that you've given to us. May we bring praise and honor to your name. Lead us as we worship, as we continue worshiping this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Many years ago, there was a newspaper that carried an article on the first day of the new year, there's an article that was talking about the suicide of an 18-year-old girl. Before she took her life, she had left a note that read, I made an agreement with God that unless life was worth living, I would quit living. Here was a girl that had decided she wanted a life worth living, but she wanted it on her terms. 
And what she discovered was that doing her own thing was utterly dissatisfying and ultimately destroying for her. By way of contrast, life is worth living for those who delight in the Lord. He promises to satisfy the desire of their hearts. He has a way of transforming despondency into expectancy. He says in verse 19 so clearly, See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I think that is just a fabulous text for a new year. And we're going to take a look at this passage. We're going to break it down a little bit. And hopefully it will speak to your heart the way it spoke to mine. We have a promise of a new thing. So forget the former. Do not dwell on the past. I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? There is a divine seed of hope in these words. God is telling us that he is still alive, he is still in control, and he's going to be doing some new things. He's, he's put it in the, term of, in the terms of a promise to us. God promises to transcend those things from the past. They're behind us. Now, if you've had a terrible year, then you want to forget the past, but we need to keep this into context and realize that uh, it probably referred to the works of God when he liberated them from Egypt, where he preserved them, where he allowed his people to enter into Israel, into the promised land. You can say, uh, as he did back in verse 3, 43.3 of Isaiah, For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom. I give Egypt for your ransom. That tells the whole story, doesn't it? Egypt was laid to waste with one plague after another. All of their firstborn were slain. All of their, their, uh, their men, their, their forces, their, their army were drowned. All of this was done to force Egypt to allow Israel to be delivered from bondage, from slavery. Egypt was sacrificed rather than Israel continuing in slavery when the time came for their release. Didn't matter how mighty the armies of, of Egypt were. Didn't matter how mighty the Pharaoh was. When God made his decision to deliver him, he delivered him. So if God giving uh, Egypt as a ransom for Israel is considered a great event, how much greater is God's love for us? 1 John 4, 9 and 10 tells us that he gave his son as a ransom for us. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. But not only does God, God promise to transcend what was in the past, he promises to transform the things that are in the present. As you look closely at verses 14 to 17, this is what the Lord says, the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I will send to Babylon and bring down fugitives, all, that, all the Babylonians in, in the ships in which they took pride. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's Creator, your King. This is what the Lord says. 
He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and the reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. See, they go beyond the deliverance of Egypt to, the deli- to deliverance from Babylon. Now think about it. How is it? How sad it is that a nation that had seen God's promises and had been liberated from Egypt, had seen them preserved, seen God follow through on his promise to take them back into the promised land, but how'd they, why did they want, were they once again captives this time in Babylon? How did it happen? It's because of their backsliding, because of their rebellion, because of their rejecting his ways, God had sent them into judgment in Babylon. But because of the prayers of a faithful remnant, there was a great deliverance that was brought about. And as I said a few moments ago, my prayer is that we will always be found as a part of that remnant, no matter what happens in our country, no matter what kind of persecution it is in the future that we will always remain faithful to him. True believers are precious in God's sight. They are his jewels. They are his peculiar or his particular treasure. He loves them and delights in them above all people. Let me show you out of the text in in chapter 43 of Isaiah that through through God's marvelous working, there can be a life of spontaneity. In verse 19, it says, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? We need to expect God to be constantly performing his great works in our lives. In our lives, in our lives as individuals, in our families, in our church family, in our community, in our nation. Every day is a new day and will have its blessings in there. Regardless of what he has done the past year, expect him to do even greater things this coming year. I praise God for the way that our budget offerings have been holding up. In the same time, we have exceeded our Lottie Moon goal. We have been bringing in money toward the parking lot. All of these things are evidence that God's people want to honor him with all of their lives. But we need to recognize also that through God's marvelous working, there can be a life of creativity. He says in verse 19, I'm making a way in the desert. And you look out at 2020, it is like a barren wilderness in front of us. But we know that through that wilderness, God will forge or make a path for us to travel. And it can be a year that is full of creativity as we explore his will together, as we discover his will together, we need to let God, God's creative juices flow and see what he can do through us in this coming year. I believe it can be a year of productivity. He says, I'm making streams in the wasteland. In the latter part of verse 20, he says, I provide water in the desert and streams in the wasteland. Do you believe that next year 
can be one of the most productive in your personal life? Where you grow spiritually like you never have before? Do you believe that it can be a year where our church will turn around? Where we will be reaching people for Christ? Where we will be baptizing them on a regular basis? Do you believe it? Or do you believe that's something that happened in the past? Do you believe that God's blessing will be upon us? I believe it. I believe it can happen. I believe that he has promised to transform those things that are in the present. And that's talking about from now on through this next year. The next thing I want to call your attention to begins with verse 19, goes through 21. It is the purpose of God's new thing. I've alluded to it before. I've quoted part of it. I give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. That is prophetic language. And in that language, we have a devotional truth. When God redeems us, when God's hand is upon us, then if we have eyes to see, that purpose becomes the supreme goal of our lives. We want to honor God with our lives, with all that we are. The announcers in the football game yesterday, in the latter game, said they had not seen a game where so many key players were taken out of the game because they were hurt, but they came back into the game. One after another after another. But it was that kind of a commitment. And that is the kind of commitment we need to have as believers going into this next year. We need to stay with it. We need to be committed to God's purpose. I believe that God's purpose is to provide or to satisfy his people. I provide water in the desert and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people. He loves to provide for us. He loves to take care of us. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled, is what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6. God wants to do a new thing in our lives, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, maybe even vocationally. He will take care of us. Psalms 37, I'm going to read some selected verses out of it, says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture." Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes, I was young, and now I am old. Yet I have never seen the, his, the righteousness forsaken or their children begging bread. Consider the blameless. Observe the upright. There is a future for the man of peace. We need to have that same kind of attitude, don't we? We have to have lives that are totally committed to him. We need to delight in him. We need to honor him. 
God's purpose is also to magnify his own person. In the 21st verse of Isaiah 43, it says, The people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. That is a theme that we see from Genesis through Revelation, a truth that that has increasing brilliance to it. Peter sums it up perfectly when he said in 1 Peter 2.9, we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Jesus said the same kind of thing in Matthew 5.16. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. I believe that that's why God said twice in this chapter in verses 10 and 12, you are my witnesses. Let's never forget that man's chief end is to glorify God. We glorify God by the lives that we live and the words that we share with others as we point them toward Jesus. Every individual has to make their own choice. We cannot make that choice for them. We cannot force them to make that choice. But we can give them that opportunity and we need to give them that opportunity. Every single one of us in our own way needs to be a witness for Jesus. We need to invite people to come to worship with us. It was good to see this place as full as it was the other night. I don't, I don't know what the exact count was, but I, I know it was probably three times what we have here today. It was a good number, and it was nice to see all those pews that were filled with people. It was embarrassing to realize that we didn't have enough candles for everybody, but that's life. And we will remedy that before next year. Somebody says, well, what if we hit 100? Then praise the Lord, we hit 100 and we run out of candles again. You know, that, 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 I'll, I'll rejoice in that if that happens. But I want you to think about the prospect of God's new thing as you look at verses 22 to 26, where it says, Yet you have not called upon me, O Jacob. You have not wearied yourselves for me, O Israel. Uh-oh. They haven't been praying, have they? They haven't been working, have they? You have not brought me sheep for burnt offerings, nor honored me with your sacrifices. We don't have to sacrifice sheep. We don't have to sacrifice animals. But we need to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. I have not burdened you with grain offerings, nor wearied you with demands for incense. You have not brought any fragrant calamus for me, or lavished on me the fat of your sacrifices. But you have burdened me with your sins and wearied me with your offenses. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Review the past for me. Let us argue the matter together. State the case for your innocence. I don't think they had a case to make, did they? If we are to enter into the promise and the purpose of God, the new thing that he wants to do in our lives and in the life of our church, then there are certain facts that we need to recognize. One of them is the failure of man to cope. 
In verses 22 and 24, he says, Yet you have not called upon me, O Jacob. You have not wearied yourselves for me, O Israel. In verse 24, he says, You have not brought any fragrant calamus for me or lavished on me the fat of your sacrifices, but you have burdened me with your sins and wearied me with your offenses. These verses make sad reading, but they are a true reflection of the inability of man to come to current terms with God, to surrender completely over to Him. And in the final analysis, we need to recognize what can God expect from us except failure? God's ancient people failed in their intercessions. They were not praying. They had not been calling upon the God of Israel. Have you been praying to him? Have you been interceding on behalf of your church? Have you been interceding on behalf of your community, on behalf of your nation? Have you been interceding for your president? Have you been praying? They failed in their dedications. They had mocked him with their burnt offerings and sacrifices. And we look at the good things that we do and the things that we have done. But are we mocking him? Are we failing him? Are we simply going through the motions? Or are we really dedicating our lives to him? They also failed in their ministrations. God had to say to them in verse 24, you've burdened me with your sins, wearied me with your offenses. Is God weary of us? The failure of man to cope, our failures, our sin, will keep us from realizing the, pro- the prospect of God's new thing in our lives this year. But there is a second element that we need to receive, and that is the nature of God to care. Verse 25, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and remembers your sins no more. Review the past for me, and let us argue the matter with him. State your case of innocence. He is simply saying to us that he is waiting for us to turn to him. He is waiting for us to accept responsibility for our own sins, to confess them to him, to repent of them, to ask him for help. He is the one that can purge us of that sin. He is the one that can blot out our transgressions. And the neat thing is, he offers in their place a new faith. In verse 26, he says, review the past with me. It means bring back to mind the promises in which we can agree. When the apostle Paul was deserted by his friends, He said in 2 Timothy 4.17, the Lord stood with him. See, we so often get to comparing ourselves to one another. And if our level of commitment is greater than somebody else's level of commitment, we think we're all right. But that's not how we're supposed to be comparing ourselves, are we? We're to be comparing ourselves to the Lord Jesus who committed himself to the point where he was willing to die for us. Are we, are we willing 
to give our all to Him. When he stood before the Sanhedrin, the Apostle Paul I'm talking about, in Acts 23, he again said, the Lord stood with him. In Acts 27, he and his shipmates were facing a terrible storm. And in the 23rd verse of Acts 27, he said, there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve. See, God keeps his promises. We don't always, but he does. So let's believe God for this new thing that he wants to do in and through our lives in this coming year. And let's move forward to prove his adequacy, to demonstrate his faithfulness. Let us remember that with God, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Are you ready for a new year? I know I am. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it being one of the best years. I will have my ups and downs. Our church will have its ups and downs. But I believe that even through those ups and downs, that God's blessing will be upon us as we remain faithful, as we call upon him, as we witness for him. But we need to be constantly praying and constantly witnessing wherever we are going, whatever we are doing. When I was selling the insurance many years ago, they told us you had to contact at least 100 people to get one prospect. So one policy. How many of us have made 100 contacts this last year? Have we as a church collectively witnessed to more than 100 I hope we have. I know some have been very faithful in their witness. I know some have been very faithful in their prayer. But I would urge all of you to get on board. To pray earnestly. Don't try witnessing without praying first. Don't try witnessing without praying before you start trying to witness does that mean that you can't start trying to witness to somebody that you come in contact with in the course of your day? No, because you will have already prayed and asked God for some divine appointments. And he creates a situation where you can leave a word of witness. Those two elements will demonstrate to God whether we're serious, whether we really want to experience his new thing in our lives this year. Some of us are afraid of a new thing. We like things the way they are. Is that not true? We're comfortable with things. We don't mind having a small church. I don't know what God has envisioned for this church, but I believe he wants us to be growing. If there's anything I've observed in watching my grandchildren it is that if they aren't growing, then we need to take them to the doctor and find out why. We need to find out what's going on. We need to be growing. Now, granted, as we mature, we need to stop growing. I remember somebody saying that their preacher had become one of the biggest preachers in Tucson. 
that was when I was well over 200 pounds. Peaked out ultimately about 240. That was after I'd gotten here. But that gradually came down. But I was growing in other ways. I was growing in other ways. We need to be growing spiritually, emotionally. We need to be growing in our commitment to Him. Let's pray together. Father, as I pray, it is my prayer that others in this congregation will join me in committing their lives to you, surrendering over control, making themselves living sacrifices. That's our reasonable service. Help us to be available. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be teachable so that you can use us to bring glory and praise to your name so that you can use us to reach out to this community and see lives changed. There'll be one life at a time, we know that. But if each one of us is doing their part, praying and witnessing, then we will experience your blessing upon us. Help us not to burden you because of our sin and our transgression. We confess to you now that this last year there have been many times where we have been an embarrassment to you. We would like to, with your help, turn that around this coming year and bring glory to you in all that we do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.